the first thing that we can do with a building is make sure that it's maintained. And that sounds simple, but most of the hospitals that I've worked on over the years that have developed a problem, it is related to either the wrong kind of maintenance or not enough maintenance. Pets used to be the only infection worry in veterinary hospitals, but now it's people contagions making things difficult. So what can your building do to help? Welcome to a brand new episode of the Veterinary Business Success Show, a part of the FedEx Leaders Community Online. In each episode, we explore ideas and subjects you can use to manage your veterinary practice better and be a better leader. I am your resident asker of questions, Brendan Howard, and the veterinary architect I talk to today is Heather Lewis, who has spent years in veterinary and animal shelter design with Animal Arts in Boulder, Colorado. She doesn't want infection control today in hospitals to be just a have-to, but a care-about. So, Heather, help us. How are we going to make sure our hospital's pathogen control is up to snuff and want to make it better? So, Heather, I used to do the hospital design conference for Fetch DVM 360, and you would, for a number of years... On the last day, we weren't burying it on the last day. You'd be there for three days giving talks with the other people. And then on the last day, we would often have this one that was about cleaning, infection control. Other things were about the huge parts of hospital design, the building location, the complicated process it takes to get the thing from vision to, you know, the end of the race. And then you had one that was about cleaning and infection control. And it was always fascinating And I always hope that people would think it was worth the money. Do you ever get sold if you're working on a project with people on a veterinary hospital? Is the money for this infection control stuff, uh, for making the space healthier for people and pets, is it ever a hard sell given all the other costs that have to go into a building? It's a hard sell if you add it on top of everything. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I don't think it's added on top. I think it's integral. And when we look at it as integral and when we look at it as infinitely practical, then it seems like it's not that big a deal. And it really isn't that big a deal. When I think about infection control and creating really healthy spaces for people and animals, sometimes the answers can be really simple. And that's what I'm hoping we can talk about. Yes, let's talk about. So then in that case, I mean, you super helpful. I I think you mentioned some things in uh, some of the notes for this, you know, that it can save energy, that it can make you feel better because you'll be worrying less about certain things and you think it can even cut costs. So I don't know, where should we dive in? Is there a big, big part of infection control that everybody thinks about in a veterinary hospital that usually is the thing that either costs the most money or people have to do the most thinking about, or you cannot bolt on at the end in any slapdash way because it needs to be more integral to the thinking process through the project. Yeah. Well, everybody's thinking about infection control now. That's of course (laughs) the general public may be actually washing their hands. Who knows? But (laughs) no, I think that I'm all about keeping it simple. When we talk about anxiety and creating healthy spaces for people and animals and the anxiety that the last year has brought for veterinarians and veterinary technicians having their hospitals open and having to do business during difficult times when we're worried about all kinds of risks to practices. 
I think keeping it simple is my really, really big message. And when we talk about keeping it simple, there are just a few things that are much more important than other things. Okay. And that's kind of what we could talk about today. And we could start with air quality because air quality is where people tend to dive in and where their focus has been during the last many months that we've been worried about air quality in buildings. And this topic will not go away. There's a lot of really good things to learn about it. And then we can talk about some other things that, that actually could be pretty simple as well. Okay, then yes, let's tackle the tough one because you're right. When people were talking about worrying about contagious diseases person to person, which is what we've been through in the last 18 months, they're talking about what sounds like sometimes expensive changes to the HVAC, expensive new filters, thinking this building was not designed to be able to make sure that we didn't catch things from other people in this environment. So is that actually easier than people think in the average veterinary hospital? Yes. It absolutely is. (laughs) That's my message today is that, you know, this has been an anxiety inducing time and it doesn't have to be. So let's just talk about what we can do. That's pretty simple. The first thing that we can do with a building is make sure that it's maintained. And that sounds simple, but you would be surprised. Maybe you would, maybe you wouldn't. Most of the hospitals that I've worked on over the years that have developed a problem, it is related to either the wrong kind of maintenance or not enough maintenance. So simple things like changing filters. Filters need to be changed more quickly in veterinary hospitals because of all the fur. And sometimes maintenance schedules aren't sufficient. So just changing filters is really great. Cleaning ductwork, especially supply ductwork, which is supplying air to spaces, can make the spaces cleaner because you're not then throwing all that whatever's in the duct (laughs) gunk into the room. So doing some simple things like that. And then last but certainly not least is making sure that the building is actually operating as it was designed to operate. Over time, buildings tend to go into weird operational modes because buildings are complicated and they're more and more complicated. So even for a hospital that may have not been designed to today's standards, if it's not even working the way it was originally designed, then that can be a problem. And I'll give you an example of that problem. An example is over time, because veterinary hospitals tend to exhaust a lot of air in order to keep patients healthy. I think most hospitals are designed to exhaust a bit more air than your average office building. Over time, if that balance goes even slightly out of whack, a building can become negatively pressurized rather than positive. And what that means is that the building can suck in air from the outside. That's not a good thing. And the reason that it's not a good thing is that if the building is overall pulling in air from the outside as an overall picture, then that means it's often pulling in humidity as well. So if your building is humid, it may just be slightly out of balance. And the reason that humidity is a problem is that microorganisms and pathogens really love humid environments. (laughs) And they thrive in humid environments, and they're even more easily spread in humid environments. So when we're worried about pathogenic viruses or bacteria or mold or anything, having a humid building is not good. 
So all these things are related to maintenance, right? So just getting the right maintenance for your building and getting things working the way they were actually intended to work can be a really, really big thing to do that's pretty easy. So I want to introduce one concept now to people who might be listening. Sure. I want to ask one question because you, I think your first, the first suggestions, everything sounds great. Now, th- thinking about those filters and the vents, I'm trying to think of the average ultra busy veterinary practice. I'm sure the people in there become blind to those vents. Those vents just operate. You only think about the vents when they're not working. The heat's not working. The AC's not working. Otherwise, the dust and everything on them, you ignore. And and how many practices actually probably change these filters as often as are requested in the manuals and the specs? I mean, I don't know from your experience, do you hear? Do a lot of people adhere to these things or cleaning the vents is not typical? It's not typical. <laughs> I mean, it's not typical in my house. I don't know about that. <laughs> right. That's, it's not typical in my house either. Actually, right. Do you actually go change your furnace filters on schedule? Probably not. I know I don't, but here's me trying to convince you. First of all, you don't have to do it yourself. And veterinarians are so busy right now. We're one of the professionals that have been slammed during this time of change and doing extra work. So you probably must have somebody who's on contract to do it for you. So a service contract. The thing is that most service contracts have a once every three month changing schedule And you need a once a month changing schedule for your filters in a hospital. And that's because of the fur. So they're often clogged up even after a month. So having somebody do it for you is key. But you also need the reason to care. And here's the reason to care. The reason to care is that if you are able to tune up your building so it's working properly, you will probably save about 15%, a 10% certainly, if not 15% on energy usage, which translates to dollars per year. So that is an incentive right there for people to bother with this is not only will they have a healthier space, but they'll have a space that costs less money. In typically, so that's the vents, which makes sense. And in that case, you're talking about really heating and cooling. So you're going to make it easier to heat and cool to the, the temperature you're aiming for, and that will cut down on energy cost. Right. Absolutely. Okay. The dehumidifying, is that typically something, do you think the average maintenance service contract, do you think they're checking for humidity levels? And this is something? No. Okay. So where would they go if they're not doing that? If let's say it's been four years and they're like, I don't think I've spent any time in the last four years that I think about how humid it was in here or that I could do anything about it. In that case, what's like the, there's some next level that they would have to do to explore that. All right. So bear with me. Okay. We're listening because- when I talk about HVAC, even my eyes cross and I get bored. <laughs> I mean, seriously, it is so boring. I apologize to any, any engineers out there. but So I'm going to talk just for a moment about a professional who can help. And then we'll move on to things that are more exciting. But okay. when we're talking about getting a building working properly, which saves you money and makes things healthier, uh, there is a professional who can help with this. And they're called a commissioning agent. Commissioning agents are the people who operate in that weird zone between engineer and contractor. So if you've built anything and you get finger pointing where the contractor is saying, well, the engineer did it wrong and engineer is saying the contractor did it wrong, you know that there's a gulf there. 
Like what the heck is happening? And you sometimes feel caught in the middle. The person who really truly understands that what is happening is a commissioning agent and he or she gets things tuned up properly. They can either work during the construction phase at the end of the construction phase, or they can come in later. It's like 10 years later, 15 years later. This year has been the year where people have called me after 15 years and said, all of a sudden we have a humidity issue. All of a sudden we have a, it feels like things aren't working, like the airflow is not good. And I almost always suggest that we recommission the building. And this is the thing that I was saying that saves the 10 to 15% of energy usage. Yeah, is getting that right professional on board to help you. You can find commissioning agents online by looking for HVAC commissioning agents. And trust me, it is worth it. You will know things are working right. You won't have to care about it. I don't even care about it. But you (laughs) want to be healthy and you want to save the energy. And that's really the key. It sounds like it is even difficult for you because I've heard you nerd out about many aspects of hospital design and many aspects of equipment and many aspects of materials, just HVAC just does not do it for you. Well, it's just a profession that requires so much training that if you don't really know all of the ins and outs of it, it can get kind of overwhelming. And that's how I feel about it. But, you know, buildings have to work properly in order to be healthy. And so, you know, that's my main message is just this maintenance, getting things recommissioned is great. Then we can move on to things that we have learned beyond just keeping your building running. Yeah, let's absolutely do that. I also wonder, it's interesting, this commissioning agent, I know there might be a tendency sometimes in order to save money. We saw this a lot at the hospital design conference. And it's smart. If somebody really wants to immerse themselves in flooring materials and colors and thinking about HVAC and windows and thinking about the layout, there's some practice owners and practice managers who really want to delve into that. It sounds like maybe HVAC is not the same thing as picking the right flooring or picking a good color or figuring out how big an exam room should be. It sounds like it is something that, I don't know, do you encourage generally, is that a part of the design process that you would say, hey, we want to have somebody else evaluate what this should look like? Well, as a design professional for veterinary hospitals, I actually wade into this territory daily. <laughs> okay. You run into this exact thing I'm talking about. Okay. It's part of it's part of what we provide. You know, just okay. as a healthcare architect would provide a healthcare quality airflow to a hospital, um, you know, a human hospital, we would do this for an animal hospital. It's just that it's one of those things that that clients can't tangibly wrap their heads around as easily as, you know, it's just, it's a little bit more. I think what veterinary owners need to do is ask a lot of questions, especially today with the concerns that people have about having healthy indoor air. Ask their designers how they're achieving that, you know, what standards they're following and get some help from experts if needed, because it is more important than it used to be. But I am all a matter of keeping it simple because there are a lot of other things you can do other than having complicated HVAC. Today's show is brought to you by Vetex International. Now, are people the major pain point in your practice? If so, you're not alone. Over 90% of managers report staff problems to be their number one issue. At the root of this problem are usually three dysfunctions. A poorly articulated vision, 
toxic culture or some form of leadership breakdown. If this sounds familiar, then do not despair, help is at hand. I encourage you to check out Leaders, a veterinary-specific leadership training program where you will learn how to create and execute on a shared vision, how to hire well, and build a powerful, high-performance practice culture without all the drama. The class is accredited, delivered online, and open for applications now. To learn more, listen to a free training webinar, or apply, visit vetexinternational.com forward slash leaders. Okay, welcome back to the show. I hope you enjoyed part one. Let's get into some more meaty content to help you grow your practice in part two. Okay, let's talk about some of the things that maybe you and your team have learned or thought more about in the past year and a half when it comes to infection control. Great. Yes. So I'm going to stay on the topic of air quality because it's still there. Okay. Now we can talk about some cool and easy things. Okay. One of them is opening the windows. (laughs) Most windows in commercial buildings don't open. And actually, right. There's reasons for that. In hospitals, it can totally mess up the pressurization. But let's assume you have a 30-year-old hospital that never was designed for anything special to begin with. There's no harm in a hospital of that age in creating some indoor-outdoor spaces for people to use. And this has been a great message over the last year. So, for example indoor-outdoor exam rooms or indoor-outdoor waiting areas, having a waiting porch. I realize that if you're in South Florida or North Dakota, there are times of the year (laughs) where it's not pleasant, right? Right. But it does give us that pressure relief valve. And I especially love indoor-outdoor exam rooms. They're fantastic. They're really uh, low stress for the pets. They really help with dogs that have behavioral issues. And there are these wonderful spaces. They're also great for end-of-life care. So if you can perform euthanasia in an outdoor space, it's it's so much gentler and kinder. But the other great thing about indoor-outdoor spaces is that I mean, let's face it, we're going to be worried about other people breathing on us for maybe a long time. And this is a really nice space. And not only that, but clients, even some clients are reluctant to come into to buildings now. And and having indoor outdoor spaces can be really flexible for anybody's concerns or lack thereof, but they're still flexible spaces. So I like those spaces a lot. Did you hear that feels like maybe something that's open to a building, maybe a freestanding building, which has access to all four walls, and then maybe already has a back or a side that feels like they could have something fenced in. And then when I'm thinking about the practices that are in leasehold or strip holds that maybe only have a back and a front, and neither place feels like a great place, especially because the parking probably runs right up to it. Do you know of any ideas or or experiments that people have tried to try to create some indoor-outdoor environments in places that maybe don't have a nice green space or a nice place that feels secluded? 
Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, this may not be the best strategy for some hospitals like a lease space, but that's kind of why I said, why I opened with the comments with, you know, open the windows. Because, (laughs) (laughs) Because let's say you have a cat ward in the back of the building, which is usually where it is. And let's say it's just like dank and scary. But there does happen to be a window opening or you can add one. As Mm -hmm. long as you've got a heavy-duty screen, you can open up that room and get much better air quality in there for those pets. So I would look creatively at ways to work with older hospitals to provide better air quality, just meeting them where they are, you know, not trying to create anything fancy. Another great example is I went to an older hospital recently, and the only opening they had was their treatment room that had a door to the outside and they left that door open. Of course they had a secondary, let me make it clear. They had a secondary (laughs) screen door, which was latchable and lockable. So we're not talking about freedom pets, but just keeping that door open was kind of a nice thing to do with new hospitals. You have to design around these opportunities so that you don't, you know, air condition the great outdoors. But I think there's a lot of things we can learn from indoor outdoors environments that we're just starting to learn. I know that I think typically, so I would think just by default, I'd worry. So you worry about noise. So whatever noises are coming from, as long as there's not too much noise blasting out of that window toward whatever neighbors who might complain about it, you're not trying to, you know, normally I might think, oh no, we need to keep this a secure area air-wise, but actually I'm seeing the point, you know, we're trying to turn the air with the HVAC. And when you open the door, you're turning the air. I mean, yeah. are you helping circulate the air? You can if you have a really old, stanky system. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Okay, that's true. A good system's going to crank up to try to, yeah. Yeah, I think I think we just try to meet people where they are. And these indoor-outdoor spaces are great. Sometimes operable windows are appropriate given the age of the hospital. And making sure everything's working properly is also really important. Um there's other things we can do too that we've really learned from the last year that we can we can talk about that are pretty easy. Yeah, I would love to hear them. Yeah, let's we'll lean off the expensive ones and try to find as many lower cost, lower stress ones as we can. For sure. So I'm going to hit one more topic on air, then I promise I'll move on to other ones, but people are most worried about air. So if the indoor outdoor thing doesn't work for you, for whatever reason, you know, it messes things up. It doesn't actually make things better. There are air cleaning technologies, air purification technologies, and I want to talk just about them briefly. And the reason why I want to kind of talk about them is that there's a lot of snake oil salesmen in this realm of um, products. You can see these in government buildings and in retail buildings. I see more and more. I'm not sure how effective they are, but I see them everywhere now for obvious reasons. I would say probably 90% of them are garbage. And they're just <laughs> somebody, they're making somebody feel better, but right. they actually aren't doing anything. Okay. But you can actually get air purification technology that isn't snake oil sales and actually does something. And what you want to look for is a product that's made for human health care or animal health care. And it's actually proven for those environments. One of the companies that we work with is a company called Arapi, and they make, um, they make products for the pet industry. And this is UV technology. And that's A-E-R-A-P-Y. That's correct. Okay. 
So they use UV technology. UV is one of the best disinfectants out there. UV is what the sun produces. And if we could just open the roof of our hospitals and, you know, air it out and let the sunshine do its work, we probably wouldn't be very worried about our indoor environments. So this is a way of bringing that same natural technology indoors. And what I love are the ones that are upper air treatment systems. These systems plug right onto your ceiling. And when we talk about expense, they're between $3,500 and $4,000. So, I mean, that's not cheap. It's not, you know, certainly more expensive than a dinner out. But as far as a stopgap measure, if you have a really old hospital, it's Mm -hmm. so much less expensive than doing anything complicated. And these, um, these upper air treatment systems made by this particular company are truly great. And they're both lab tested and field tested. So you can review the, the peer reviewed studies, but they really do help with the uh, reduction of things floating around in the air, some of which are probably no big deal and some of which could be pathogenic. So as far as you know, helping an old building, these are great. And when you say 3,500, 4,000, are you talking about one vent in one room or are you talking about sort of a typical practice? I'm talking about one space, but you can pick that space, right? You could pick the medical treatment space. You could pick, and they will cover a certain amount of square footage. So you choose a technology that's going to cover a certain amount of square footage and you don't need that many to cover your hospital. My first experience with these were prior to the pandemic, and they were used at Arizona Humane Society to help reduce the spread of ringworm in their ringworm wards. Try to say that five times fast. (laughs) (laughs) For me, it's always ringworm. But in these wards, they use these, uh, these upper air treatment systems, and this was part of a field study for this company, an in situ kind of situation. And they studied the amount of ringworm on surfaces before and after using these systems and two different rooms, one that had it and one without. And it reduced the amount of the ringworm spores by a ridiculous amount, you know, 90 plus percent, which made zero sense to me. Because when you think of ringworm, you think of a fomite transmitted diseases. Right. I've always been trained that way, Brendan. So you remember some of these conversations we had at hospital design about how important fomites are, right? Yes. Well, you know, ringworm is a spore, so it can go out and float around in the air and then land on something. So it's definitely got an airborne component. And that's what we find that these upper air treatment systems are great for, is reducing the amount of the number of particles that are floating around, some of which, again, might not be any big deal, and some of which are pathogenic. So, And is this thing designed, I mean, I guess we don't have to go too much into details, but I am curious, is this thing designed to bathe an, an area with this UV light, or does it is it at the point at which the air is going in or out, so during the circulation process, it bathes the light on its way through the vent? It does its own circulation. You can also have these installed in your HVAC system. But if you do that, I would, you know, recommend some expert help to make sure that you're doing what you think you're doing. But they suck air in and then push out cleaner air on the other side. Okay, got it. As almost a freestanding thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's why I love them so much. 
okay, people, if 35, that's not too bad for uh, especially an area that they're most concerned about these things moving around. What else? Right. So we've talked about air quite a bit. And I hope that what I've said is relatively simple in that I'm not suggesting that anybody needs to to stop what they're doing now, throw everything down and redesign their whole buildings. That's okay. They don't have to completely tear up the, uh, not, the, the it's roof. It's not realistic, okay. right? So okay. we just do what we can. And I think that will always be the case moving forward because veterinary hospitals never have the budget of human hospitals. So we can move on to other topics, one of which is how much we've learned about hand washing and why that's important. And of course, we veterinarians have always known that hand washing is important, but we've had a message that washing our hands is important in general in terms of our responsibility to keep each other healthy. And um, I've always been kind of old fashioned about hand washing and that I believe it's a good idea I have always believed that. And the great news is that whenever there is a public health scare, as there has been, the products have gotten so much better. So we have better hand-washing technology now than we did two years ago by far. What I mean is that, like, handless faucets or <laughs> handless, that sounds scary, um, <laughs> touchless faucets have come a long way and they don't turn off like after two seconds, like the one at the airport that makes you nuts that you have to, right. you know, like, why are they trying to save this much water and have all these people with dirty hands walking around? So they've gotten a lot better in terms of how they can be programmed. They work better. Uh, sink design works better. So we have non-splash sinks. Sinks themselves can be sources of contamination. Now non-splash sinks are pretty common. These were things that weren't around when I was talking about infection control two years ago. And they were around, of course, but they weren't like as readily available as they are now. So having touchless faucets, having really good hand hygiene all throughout the hospital is a reality now. And that is just fantastic because that will keep staff healthier. That will keep your clients cleaner as they're in your space. And so I love hand washing. That wraps up today's episode of the Veterinary Business Success Show. It was an honor to share it with you. If you enjoyed it, we would love it if you leave a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and tell your friends in veterinary medicine about us. Want a little more? You are in luck. An extended version of this podcast is available exclusively to our leaders community. You can learn more at vetxinternational.com. And until next time, I just want you to know... I appreciate you.